coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. Another gorgeous afternoon in the city of Atlanta and throughout North Georgia. Well, you're enjoying some of it. I got out a little bit today and uh, ran some errands and got some sunshine on my head. Got softball practice after uh, the show, so... I'm looking forward to some of that fresh air and some sunlight. Uh, a little bit more of it, please. And hopefully this weekend will be nice weather-wise as well because we do have softball activities. Hopefully you're uh, lining up some as well. All right, speaking of lining up, the candidates to try and take on Donald Trump for the GOP nomination are also lining up. We have a new announcement today. Someone is sort of throwing his hat into the ring. An exploratory committee, if you will. Here is the announcement video. <laughs> for the exploratory committee of one Senator Tim Scott. On this day, April 12, 1861, in this harbor, the first shots of the Civil War were fired. Hmm. And our country faced the defining moment. Would we truly be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all? America's soul was put to the test and we prevailed. Today, our country is once again being tested. Once again, our divisions run deep and the threat to our future is real. Joe Biden and the radical left have chosen a culture of grievance over greatness. They're promoting victimhood instead of personal responsibility, and they're indoctrinating our children to believe we live in an evil country. And all too often, when they get called out for their failures, they weaponize race to divide us, to hold on to their power. When I fought back against their liberal agenda, they called me a prop, a token, because I disrupt their narrative. I threaten their control. They know the truth of my life disproves their lies. See, I was raised by a single mother in poverty. The spoons in our apartment were plastic, not silver. But we had faith, we put in the work, and we had an unwavering belief that we too could live the American dream. I know America is a land of opportunity, not a land of oppression. I know it because I've lived it. That's why it pains my soul to see the Biden liberals attacking every rung of the ladder that helped me climb. If the radical left gets their way, millions more families will be trapped in failing schools, crime-ridden neighborhoods, and crushing inflation. Not on my watch. This is personal to me. I will never back down in defense of the conservative values that make America exceptional. And that's why I'm announcing my exploratory committee for President of the United States. I will defend the Judeo-Christian foundation our nation is built on and protect our religious liberty. I will stand up to communist China and restore opportunities for hardworking Americans to thrive and prosper. I will fight to give every parent a choice in education so their children have a better chance in life. I will defend our borders and our neighborhood streets, and I will protect our most fundamental right, the right to life itself. I bear witness that America can do for anyone what she has done for me. But we must rise up to the challenges of our time. This is a fight we must win. And that will take faith. Faith in God, 
faith in each other, and faith in America. God bless our United States of America, and God bless you. All right, lots to unwrap. First, let's acknowledge some facts. Only one candidate can win the state of South Carolina during the GOP primary cycle. And um, you have Lindsey Graham supporting Donald Trump. He's one senator. You have a former governor of the state of South Carolina in Nikki Haley, also a former Trump uh, cabinet member, of course, the UN uh, representative for the United States. And now you have Senator Tim Scott who has all but thrown his hat in the ring. The exploratory committee is just a way to fundraise without saying I'm running for president in case the exploratory committee does a poor job in fundraising. And and Nikki does have uh, the advantage of a few weeks or a couple months or so head start. Now, I could sit here and pick apart Tim Scott a little bit. I actually kind of like Tim Scott in some respects. Uh, Having lived in the state of South Carolina for a little more than 11 years, uh, I have a healthy respect, although almost unanimous disagreement with him on uh, policy and substance. In the video, he talks about you know divisions running deep and then rolls right into radical leftists and indoctrinating our children to believe we're an evil country and weaponizing race. It's kind of, you, you know, you're disagreeing with yourself a little bit, Tim. And, and by the way, I, I say that because uh, Tim Scott, uh, there was a Politico piece a while back where uh, he, he, he talks about systemic racism. He admitted to being profiled by law enforcement officers and that others can be, quote, locked out of opportunity. Uh, even gave uh, what, what was described as, quote, a lengthy seminar on systemic discrimination to then-President Donald J. Trump. So who, who's weaponizing race here? The point is, while I could sit here and pick apart Tim Scott, kind of throwing his hat in the ring, there are those on the right who are hand-wringing a little bit themselves, the anti-Trump Republican crowd, the never-Trumper Republican crowd, who are seeing the makings of yet another primary season where there is a good number of, dare we call them, sensible, sane, conservative options, and they're all going to cancel each other out because there's one candidate who's going to show up for all the debates and steal all the oxygen in the room and get all the press time because that one candidate says all the crazy shit. But Ron, uh, that guy's got a record now, and there's fatigue and blah, 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 blah. All I'm saying is look at the polling, y'all. I mean, do you think Tim Scott takes numbers from Donald Trump, Governor DeSantis, Nikki Haley, any of them? Do you do you think Nikki Haley takes numbers from It hasn't happened so far. And remember, because the GOP didn't want to address anything platform-wise when Trump was running for re-election, their platform was Trump 2020. They literally, that, that's what they voted on. They voted on, we, we support Donald Trump. They didn't address the fact that you don't have to win a majority of votes to win an entirety of delegates. Donald Trump wasn't winning a majority of votes in the 2016 primary until he was just about the last guy on the ticket. It was like him and John Kasich and 
Then he was getting 50% plus, but before then he wasn't. But he was still winning the state's delegates. He's still leading in all the GOP polls. Despite the, well, he's got a record and uh, we've got other options and uh, he's still leading your polls. So if he were to run the table again and some of the lesser funded candidates like those just now forming exploratory committees start dropping out and then who's he going to be left with? Maybe, maybe DeSantis, but by then does it even matter? Because this, I mean, the same thing that played out in 2016 could play out in 2024. Donald Trump could be netting less than 50% of a healthy amount of the first, I don't know, 10, 12 states in the primary calendar. And then the candidates start dropping out. And by then, they all coalesce right back around to Trump because he's the former president. And we can't say that his presidency was wrong or bad in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And they're not going to do it in the primary season anyway or in the general election season, then it's it's hard to, to take him down based on his record if we all have to act like his presidency was so great in the first place. What I suspect we will see from right-wing media is them giving enough airtime, enough spotlight to Tim Scott and to Nikki Haley for... Proving to the world, the entire world, look, we're not misogynist. We're not xenophobic. We're not racist. We're running candidates that tell you we're not anti-black. Despite not addressing the policies within the party that dictate that for much of the Republican Party's history and conservatism on the whole anti-black. You can point to Nikki Haley and say, we're not anti-immigrant, but who's getting more oxygen in the room right now? Her or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who wants to have a four-year moratorium on immigration? Why? I mean, if there's one thing that would be interesting about a Tim Scott presidency, it's that once he's president, is he sort of insulated a little bit from recrimination by conservatives if he decides to work with Democrats on police reform. We've seen evidence of Tim Scott wanting to do that. He had a bill. Do we see him publicly acknowledge what he said before, but on less brighter stages, about systemic racism and the obstacles that exist for upward mobility, which, I mean, exists for all of us, but more so for people of color, and even more so for women of color. He speaks glowingly about how hard his single mother worked to raise him and his brother, and how that work ethic was instilled in them. She had to work 16-hour days. She made him collect money to go to summer school when he flunked out in ninth grade and went to summer school so he wouldn't fall behind, because she just didn't have it. She did, There were only so many hours in the day, and she, she couldn't find extra hours to work. Why is that? Is it, is it because women make pennies on the dollar to men or that a woman of color makes even less than that? Yeah, a Tim Scott presidency would be interesting because I'd like to maybe think that he could kind of be a, a bit of a John Roberts from the Supreme Court in, in the White House where he would say, okay, I know what I've been telling you and, and I know that I've, I've only given you hints that I 
think this way, but now I'm going to show you that I believe that I think this way. And I'm going to work across the aisle to get some of these things done. And lo and behold, if some of these issues get get dealt with, then what, pray tell, do the Republicans use to gin up votes in rural and southern states? Oh, that's right. Look at those trans kids. See, I'm one of these people, I don't care which party gets the credit. Solve the problem. If the GOP stumbles into the solution because they elect a man of color to the highest office in the land, okay, great. Problems get solved because finally there's a president from the right who's come to understand the problems that Democrats have been talking about for a long time. And maybe this time Democrats will, instead of politicizing like they did with his police reform, just vote for it and accept victory. Who cares? America wins. We all win, right? The white nationalist base of the GOP wouldn't primary their own president, would they? See, this is why this would be an interesting presidency if it were to occur. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't stand a chance. I'm just saying. Back after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. While we're still awaiting something to be said or done by the Cherokee County School Board with relation to Rob Recksteiner, their school board vice chairman, a.k.a. Rick Steiner from WCW and WWE Wrestling fame. He was kicked out of a wrestling, uh, like a WrestleCon, a couple weekends ago for making some transphobic remarks to Giselle Shaw. She has witnesses who can corroborate this. And he was kicked out of the venue. Like the venue said, no more of you. The event organizer said, no more of you. Rick Steiner of the Steiner Brothers and WCW and WWE fame, they all sided with Giselle Shaw. And to date, there's still no word from the Cherokee County School Board what what they're going to do about their allegedly transphobic vice chairman. There's been no statement on his part whatsoever. They do have a meeting on April 20th. I keep pointing this out. They do have a a meeting a week from tomorrow. Not sure if uh, his status on the board is on the agenda, if he will be resigning or offering a statement of any kind whatsoever. I guess we'll wait for eight more days through eight more days of silence from Rob Recksteiner, a.k.a. Rick Steiner, and the Cherokee County School System. Hey, that's okay. We got another douche nozzle to focus on. Uh, let's see. This guy's name is R. Michael McWhorter. You know him as uh, at Tizzy ENT on Twitter and TikTok. His videos catch fire and you're about to hear why listen to this let's play a game called that's not going to be good for business this guy visited atlanta and then decided to document his visit in videos that he sent to friends downtown atlanta staying here at the uh, omni hotel over by the cnn ain't seen a white person in sight homeless ones on the street every restaurant looking in here is black every car beside them is black they can have Atlanta. Wow. You, know, you and Boyf need to come up here and go hunting. Yeah. Hunt. That stuff, man. Ain't nothing here, dog. Ain't nothing but blacks up here. Wow. Ain't nothing but blacks up here. And what was that one little part about hunting? Y'all need to come up here and do some hunting. What exactly did you mean by that? Yeah. Maybe this next clip will clarify. Oh, look at this trying to pull out in front of me right here. Oh. Look at this trying to pull out in front of me right here. Hey. Do you see? Did you see that? 
that tree right there? Yeah. Did you see that tree right there? Roe will hang you from that tree. Oh, so lynching. That's what you mean by hunting. And it's not enough to use the N-slur and talk about black people as if they are inhuman and should just be eradicated and murdered. Um, you got to sexualize them as well. Room service. Y'all need y'all to bring me some chicken wings, two hoes, a red bone and a white girl. Wow. Y'all want the white girl, uh, Rogue going to try the, the red bone. Wow. He, 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 he probably do it and he probably going to throw out that we on the 14th floor. He probably throw out the oh window. Oh, my God. We done with her. Yeah. Cheap rate. Atlanta. Atlanta. So use her for sex and then throw her out of a 14-story window. That's the joke. Mm. That guy is Mark Taylor, and he used to be a high school football coach. Yep. He doesn't coach high school football anymore. No, now he owns a business where he does speed training for high school football players. Shocking to no one, many of whom are black. Here he is posing with one of them. Oh, here he is bragging about how he trained Trey Hill, who now plays in the NFL. You know, to be honest, I don't know a lot about Trey. But I'm going to go ahead and venture to guess that if you talk that way around him, uh, he would punch your goddamn head off. Yep. You know, it's interesting to me that you think so little of black people, yet you have no problem hitching yourself to their success, yes. their hard work, their talent. Mm -hmm. And you'll stand there next to them and go, I did that. I'll make him this, you piece of shit. So I think everyone could just join me in waving bye-bye your business because i really don't see it surviving this uh nor should it that business by the way is speed edge sports based in macon georgia and as of this morning hang on let me go back but as of this morning his facebook page was still up oh yeah yeah it's still there and uh getting hammered with comments more than two thousand comments uh 772 comments 211 com yeah he's uh, he's getting peppered with comments left and right here Wow. Uh, I took a picture with Jalen Hurts, who I believe is a person of, yep, confirmed he is a person of color. And the fellow Mark Taylor at Speed Edge Sports in Macon, Georgia, uh, has some things to say about people of color in general on what he believes was going to be video just shared between him and a friend. And I'm sure... The, the response is going to be, if there is a response, if this guy just doesn't go and hide and crawl under a rock, I'm sure the response is going to be, well, these were just jokes between two friends. They weren't meant to go public. Exactly. They weren't meant to go public. But hang on. Let me tell you more about this winner. According to uh, CBS Macon, Mark Taylor had previously been accused of harassing his ex-fiancee was fired from teaching and coaching at Houston County Schools, also pled guilty to a felony charge of influencing a witness, and was banished from Houston County in 2007. Uh, CBS Macon also reporting that Taylor rented a space at private school Central Fellowship Christian Academy to train students. Uh, Central Fellowship Christian Academy has ended its relationship with uh, Mr. Taylor and his business, quote, effective immediately. I also want to focus in on something that our Michael McWhorter said uh, on his TikTok video here that I think doesn't just apply to this scumbag ex-football coach and trainer or whatever. I, I, I think this is a lesson that could be spoken to just about anybody who wants to bury America's history on race, but also has 
some epithetical thoughts on people of color. Listen to this one last line again. You know, it's interesting to me that you think so little of black people, yet you have no problem hitching yourself to their success, Mm -hmm. their hard work, Mm -hmm. their talent, and you'll stand there next to them and go, I did that. I made him this. You piece of shit. Yeah, part of America's history that nobody likes to talk about, at least from the patriotic right, is how the country was built on the backs of the labor of color. Oh, and the immigrant. Let's not leave out our friends, the Irish. So honestly, all that's left to be told about this story is, who did he send this to that he can no longer trust? I mean, you got to think, that is that is a friendship that is now permanently severed. And you have to wonder, actually, why was it not severed sooner? You can't tell me this guy was just now starting to talk like this. Wow, this was so out of character for him. Was it? Really? Quick break. Back after this. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome to the back half of today's show. Um, in general, I am not a fan of corporate subsidies. And I'm certainly not a fan of handing out money to billionaire franchise owners who pay millionaire athletes to play a game that they all profit from while you and I have to expend hundreds of dollars per person per game to go and attend those sporting events in these lavish athletic cathedrals. And don't get me wrong, I love the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons, University of Georgia Bulldogs, Atlanta United. And I have a love-hate relationship with the Hawks only because they're like that kid that, you know, you think sometimes it's going to act right, but then reverts right back to form and becomes that bratty kid that you just you want to grab and shake from time to time. Nonetheless, and, and, and I don't, you know, it's, it's nice that we have State Farm Arena. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is nice. Wasn't the design I would have chosen. Uh, Truist Park, the battery, that's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's all very nice. I just don't think it's something that taxpayer dollars ever needed to go to for them to come to fruition or be useful for their primary tenants. I mean, there are scenarios where you could argue that State Farm Arena, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, to I think a greater degree than Truist Park anyway, were beneficial to the city and Fulton County and even the state when it comes to landing marquee events, uh, we were right there in the running for the Democratic National Convention. Other huge conventions do come to Atlanta because of those two venues and that they're right next to each other. Uh, the Super Bowl has come to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We've had multiple uh, Chick-fil-A bowl games and season kickoffs and the championship game, the uh, the NCAA football championship game uh, on one occasion as well. So I, I get where there, there could be some benefit for the taxpayers to have some investment. But in general, I'm just not a big fan of corporate subsidizing for-profit ventures when the taxpayer doesn't ever really see the benefit in return. Does that make sense? Like when jobs are coming. And listen, before you come back at me with the whole stadium and arena thing, there have been dozens of studies that have done that prove that, a, that a, a, an NFL football stadium has the economic impact of a super Walmart. In what world 
do cities and states cough up hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies or tax breaks or both for a super Walmart? That doesn't happen. I mean, listen, there are these rural counties and communities that do offer up tax breaks so that the super Walmart to come to town, which just kills all the mom and pops in the businesses. But nonetheless, nobody doles out hundreds of millions of dollars for a super Walmart. And an NFL football stadium has a similar economic impact jobs-wise because there aren't that many full-time jobs at a football stadium. There are a lot of part-time jobs, concessions, souvenirs, folks who are uh, selling beer and popcorn and pretzels up and down the aisles, ticket takers. Those are all part-time jobs. Again, the economic impact of a super Walmart. But when it comes to subsidies for big-time, full-time jobs, manufacturing jobs that are going to propel communities into growth and feed the tax base, better roads, schools, bridges, et cetera, and so on. I mean, I'm okay with that as long as the due diligence is done and that the economic impact is borne out. Well, latest reason article from Joe Lancaster just came out today. Headline, Georgia is shoveling cash into a failing electric vehicle company. No, not an electric vehicle company. We need electric vehicles. Joe Biden and the White House just ramped up the numbers that they want to see percentage-wise for the amount of electric vehicles in this country. We need electric vehicles to succeed. Joe Lancaster joins me from Reason to Discuss. Joe, thanks for joining me. Uh, again, as, as someone who's left of center, I, I, I definitely want to see more electric vehicles on the streets, and, and I hate to see headlines like uh, an electric vehicle company is failing and taxpayer dollars are being chased in its demise. So fill me in. What's happening with Rivian? I saw a Rivian. Have you seen a Rivian truck in, in person? I've seen a couple on the road. Yeah. No. They, uh, and honestly, like I, I agree. I think that like electric vehicles are in the long run, a good thing. Mm. I, you know, I believe that climate change is a real thing. I believe that human activity plays at the very least a substantial part in it and i i agree there we should do something to to mitigate that um but yeah so rivian is a fairly new company it's only been around about 12 or 13 years and but it makes these luxury all-electric trucks and suvs they are kind of build as being like a cross between like the functionality of a tesla with the high-end luxury of like a range rover yeah and so I'm. I mean, I've I've never sat in one. I've seen them, but I've never spent a lot of time with them. But by all accounts, they seem to be pretty great. Uh, but as sometimes happens with new companies, they are having a hard time getting to producing them at scale and getting to a point where they can produce them efficiently. Uh, they've. I guess they've been around just over a decade or so. They've taken in billions of dollars from investors. You know, mm -hmm. people who, people who like you and me, see this and say this is a a, a good goal to have. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like in on it, uh, but possibly one. I mean, one of the biggest and most notable investors, um, in a different way than than you know, a large company might is the state of Georgia. Right. There, uh, Ravine is building a factory in the town of Social Circle, which is about about an hour outside of Atlanta. Right. Uh, and the plant itself, 
or the project is getting total of about one and a half billion dollars worth of state incentives, either from the state or from the consortium of counties that uh, have kind of a joint development agreement. Um, and the that money is going to come in the form of tax ex- state tax exemptions. Mm-hmm. It's going to be they are essentially being there's about 2000 acres on which the project is or on which the facility is going to sit mm-hmm. that that um, land is currently held by the, the state and it is like leasing it to to the company and um, so i mean the the state used state funds to acquire the portion of that land that it didn't already own it's using uh, state funding to do a lot of the uh, the maintenance and the upkeep on it, mm-hmm. and but long long term it is expected to be a uh, an expenditure of one and a half billion dollars worth of incentives for this company that, like I said, over the past few years has taken in billions of dollars from investment investors and from uh, its uh, IPO. But but isn't a, a significant share of the the EV market even now as we speak, and now it's on shakier ground. Yeah, um, I mean, right now the Tesla is essentially the the giant in the electric vehicle space. You know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. last year or the year before, I think two out of every three electric vehicles sold in the U.S. were Teslas, but we have reached a point where more and more automakers due to demand due to advances in technology are are seeing that electric vehicles are a viable uh, a, a feasible reality and a lot more are starting to build them a lot of automakers are starting to build factories or upgrade current factories uh just through uh last just in last year Sorry, in 2022, mm-hmm. there were over 30 billion dollars worth of factory new factories and upgrades pledged by existing automakers. I mean, they're definitely they're moving into this space, but at the same time, this is it's kind of a new industry to most of them. Uh, Ford had switched a lot of its current. Um, production over to electric vehicles and it said it expects to, expects to lose uh, i don't remember the exact number but it's two to three billion dollars mm-hmm. um this this year just on electric vehicles and isn't ford an investor in rivian yes uh that's that's a funny story they initially were going to kind of partner together ford put in a little over a billion dollars to get around a, around a 10 percent stake in the company before um, before it was publicly traded, and they got about a ten percent stake, and they were going to develop um, electric vehicles together. Over time, they eventually announced that Ford announced that they were just going to they weren't going to develop vehicles with Rivian anymore. They were going to do their own thing. Now they have you know the F one fifty Lightning, which people are going to getting on waiting lists to get their hands on. Um, and after Rivian went public, and this was a about uh, a little while back, I think about a year and a half ago, um, insiders, people who had stake in the company already have a certain period after the company goes public that they're not allowed to sell. It's usually a, a 
you know, part of part of the going public process to kind of, you know, retain the the core investors. Sure. As as soon as Ford was able to sell, <laughs> it sold the overwhelming majority of its shares. Something like ninety million out of about a hundred and two million shares. Mm. Um, and it and the reason is because when when they went public, the the response was huge. They were they were briefly worth more on paper than Ford itself. And over the next few months, their stock price started falling. It started, it kept falling. It really has not stopped falling since then because they are having trouble putting out product. Yeah. I mean, they keep missing goals. Uh, and it's, it's not even a question of order because Amazon wants a certain number and they're not able to hit it to, to, to reach Amazon's order. So, in reality, Rivian needs this plant, but will will it will it survive long enough to see the 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 the, the ribbon cutting? I guess is the question. The, I think that's a uh, that's that is the big question because you know the state of Georgia, right? Uh, Governor Kemp has said you know they are all in on this. They had a, an event a few weeks ago in Atlanta. They they called it the Rivian Day. You know, just really doubling down on their. Co- uh, commitment to this project, but at its current burn rate, at the rate at which it is burning through cash, it will be out of money in less than two years. Oh. <laughs> That's scary yeah. stuff. And we, we live yeah. in a we live in a country with such a healthy appetite for vehicles too. And what one point mm-hmm. two billion dollars in state funds could have done for I don't know mass transit or. Uh, you, you know, giving us, uh, you know, greater streetcars or how about, you know, mm-hmm. some, uh, some rapid rail between the city, you know, these are the sort of things mm-hmm. that come to mind when you think about that kind of money. But uh, I mean, you even broke down in the article and by the way, we'll share it in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com. Uh, you know, the, 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 the open question, do these sort of incentives actually incentivize? If you ask the people who are in charge of making these decisions, like the, your state, uh, development agencies, the uh, state government agencies responsible for kind of uh, going out finding and incentivizing these deals, they'll say that yeah, they do because otherwise they would go somewhere else. It you know, they would their, go to just makes their job easier. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, but there, I mean, there are studies that kind of look at the numbers in these types of deals. The and the reality is, a lot of times incentives are not what pushes a company over the edge over whether they're going to put a factory here or whether they're going to put it somewhere else. I mean, if you remember, uh, probably one of the the biggest examples of this type of deal over the past few years is is Amazon when they mm. announced that, you know, they've got this uh, huge presence in Seattle where they started and they wanted to build HQ2, like their second big right. corporate headquarters right. and all these states and cities came out and they put together these these lavish proposals i remember at uh atlanta's was one of you know that they, they absolutely were and ultimately amazon did not go with the the city that gave them the most stuff if they did they would have gone to dallas or to cleveland but no they went they initially picked new york city and a dc suburb which, if you think about it, was probably where they would have gone anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, 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 and well, we yeah. remember we remember famously that you know Amazon was sort of being chided in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they ended up pulling out of that uh, that deal because it they did get a lot of of negative pushback over the you know I think it was the site they chose and mm -hmm. and what the um, residents of the area thought it would do to the area. Uh, right now, they're they're building their uh, DC area facility just around the corner from me, and they I think they recently announced that they were going to going to put a pause on the second phase of that. Well, and we're experiencing that here in Atlanta with Microsoft as well. A lot of the folks who, uh, especially a lot of the home flippers who bought and flipped houses in West Atlanta, are sitting on houses now because Microsoft <laughs> is putting the pause on things. Fantastic story. I'm going to share that again in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Joe Lancaster with Reason. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes of conversation to talk about Riven, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. I mean, we definitely want more EVs, and I love seeing my state involved in getting the electric vehicle production up, but uh, at what expense, right? That's the question. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Hey, don't just listen to The Ron Show. Support The Ron Show. If you and your business would like to have your advertising done on this show, you know, it's pretty easy. You can drop me an email, ron at ronshowetl.com. You can also call me anytime you like, 404-919-2725. You can also just be a listener if you don't have a business. I mean, that would be most of you, right? Follow us on your preferred podcast platform by following any of the links we've got provided for you there on the podcast tab at ronshowatl.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, links there for you as well. Welcome back to the Ron Show, final segment for Hump Day. So now that we've had both the uh, Nashville community, uh, what was it, the Nashville, what do they call that? The, <laughs> come prepared to the conversation, Ron. The Nashville Metropolitan Council voted to reinstate Justin Jones to the Tennessee House of Representatives. Uh, the commissioners in Memphis voted today to reinstate the other, Justin Pearson, the other of the two of three Tennessee three who had been banished from the Tennessee house uh, last week. Of course, they were both the African-American members of the Tennessee three, and they're both now back in the house. And I'm telling you, if they don't come strutting back in next session with that look and demeanor of, well, 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 then they're missing a golden opportunity. Please come in with some swagger fellas. The thing is, while this is a triumph, democracy does prevail, disenfranchisement loses out, the drowning out of dissent loses out, we still have a problem in Tennessee and in these United States where innocent men, women, and children die all the time. The leading cause of death for children in this country is guns. Not all of them are AR-15s, obviously. Unattended, unstored, loose guns are found by children all the time. And curious kids who check out what a gun can do sometimes, unfortunately, meet their demise or their friends who are there gawking with them do. Or siblings. So I was struck by this TikTok video from a, I mean, my gosh, a young-looking schoolteacher. This young lady has to be in her 20s. And if she's not, then I'm just complimenting her because she appears to be in her 20s. But listen to... It's just... This is such a sad piece of audio for you to listen to. 
that I work at participates in Alice training, which is active shooter and intruder training. And the teachers went through the training and we have been bringing our students along the journey with us. And I just wanted to share with you some of the what if questions that really hit home to me as a teacher, because this is the reality of the world that we are living in. Miss Taylor, what if you get shot? What am I supposed to do? My God. What if I get shot? Are you gonna leave me? Ugh. What if the person follows us to the safe point? What if there's a person in the school and outside of the school? Ms. Taylor, just because we turn the lights off, they are not dumb. They know that we're here. Ms. Taylor, what if we're at lunch? The cafeteria is right by the front office. What if the person at the front office gets hurt and they can't make the announcement to let us know that somebody bad's in the building? Ms. Taylor, what if I'm in the bathroom? We have automatic toilets that flush. How am I supposed to stand so they don't do that? How am I supposed to answer those questions? How am I supposed to make an eight-year-old feel safe when I don't feel safe in my classroom? My kids should never feel scared to be at school. What if something bad would happen? I don't know what I'd do. Well, Ms. Taylor, I hate to break it to you and your eight-year-old second graders as well, but to, to put it bluntly, as Representative Tim Burchett, a Republican Congressman from Tennessee said, "Legislate evil. It's just not going to happen. We've got evil in this country, and everybody just needs to tone down the rhetoric a little bit because all that does is gin it up in both sides, and then they point the finger, and nothing happens. Because not if you think Washington's going to fix this problem, you're wrong. They're not going to fix this problem. They are the problem. It doesn't concern you that other countries don't have this level of gun other violence. Other countries don't have our freedom either. Yeah." <laughs> That's right. Other countries don't have our freedoms to go to the shopping mall or church or Walmart or the neighborhood grocery store or high school or middle school or elementary school or workplace or bank. They don't have the freedom to go to any of those places and worry about some jackass with an AR-15 coming in and mowing us all down. And by the way, Miss Taylor, I need you and your eight-year-old second graders to, you know, dial down the rhetoric, tone it down a little bit, because that doesn't solve anything. And if you're expecting, if you're expecting results from Washington, where Congressman Tim Burchett is a member of the House of Representatives, to solve anything, well, they're not going to solve anything. He just told you that they, he is they, by the way, are the problem. What is this talk about they? You're in the house, you jackass. You're one of they. Get your ass in there and work with the rest of they to address this. And before you go checking, I'm going to check for you, kids. Yes, Mr. Burchett has gotten funds from the National Rifle Association of America Political Victory Fund. Are you shocked? Me neither. Do you all remember what my dear friend Melita Easter said on yesterday's show? Listen to this again. Subsequent generations will be shocked by how skillfully Russia infiltrated American media and mm. American popular culture mm -hmm. and the Republican Party, even the NRA. Yeah. It's so funded by, by Russian oligarchs. It, it, it's going to be shocking when some of these things come to light. But then in the future, we'll have conservatives who will rail against the latest incarnation of CRT critical Russian theory. All right, that's going to wrap up the show for the day. I actually was sitting here, got a little distracted putting the show together because I found out that the season finale of Star Trek Picard, in fact, the series finale, 
We'll be showing uh, at IMAX, as in 10 communities across the country, Atlanta being one of them. And I excitedly went to this website that is slow as molasses and then found out that the screening happens when I have a work conflict on Saturday at noon. But but if you don't, go to gofobo.com and let that website frustrate you. See you tomorrow. Have a great one.